HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. It's holiday season. Thanksgiving is coming so soon. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all that's about to happen. And who better to have here than Patty Page of Baked Ideas, the wonderful cookie maker. Thank you, Michael. And it's so lovely that you told me it feels like home because you said before the show, you've been a longtime listener. And, yes. Um, you know... One of my episodes actually helped you hire a designer for your book. So exactly. uh, I'm glad that that all worked out. It's, yeah, it's, I, I listen as much as I can. If I miss a show, I listen the next day, never miss a show. Well, now you'll have a show of your own. <laughs> I said, well, you know, we've known each other through email for a whole bunch of years, uh, ever since this amazing Edible Manhattan cover when I was photo editor there, uh, these cookies that look like taxis and other New York paraphernalia, all mm. as cookies. And I, I just was smitten with your work. I just was struck with not only, you know, there's obviously that kitsch value, but there's such an artistic value to it, too. And after reading more about you and learning more about you, uh, you your background, you know, precedes all that baking. So let's start from the beginning. Growing up here in New York and going to art school. Okay, well, I actually grew up on Long Island and then decided to go to school in Ohio to Kenyon College, where I started off majoring in, first it was going to be psychology, then it was English, but as soon as I took, an, uh, I took a color theory course, an art course that I was allowed to take, and um, once I got going with that, I was kind of uh, hooked, and I 
changed my major and became a, a fine arts major, actually painting. So, I mean, in painting, you have to have some kind of skill, though, too. Did that come naturally to you? Well, I guess it was somewhat came some came somewhat naturally. Um, I love the all the color theory course gave me a lot of ideas about color, and you know I focused on a few artists whose work I I really liked, like de Kooning and Gorky. It was all sort of abstract expressionist, so it was more about materials and moving paint around and using color and texture, and uh, you know I concentrated on that until I graduated and moved to the city to pursue. The painting career. Yeah. Do you get to still reference people like de Kooning when you talk about cookies? Well, I think I've moved on uh, to a little more um, hard-edged, you know, imagery. Yeah, a little Mondrian. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, Andy Warhol-esque. But, yeah, I don't think about that too much with my work anymore. Yeah. So there, there was a period where you had a, a studio down in Soho. Mm-hmm. And you were painting. You were, you know, selling to galleries, you know, having work displayed in magazines, periodicals. But then there was the baking. The baking. Well, while I was painting, I was teaching to make a living through a program called Learning to Read Through the Arts with the Guggenheim Museum. And I really enjoyed that, but it got too draining. I couldn't do any work when I was done with that. So I started selling cookies to stores because I had a recipe my grandmother had given me that was, everybody loved this cookie. And there were one or two stores in Soho at the time. And I started selling to those stores. And the cookies just took off. They were so popular. I had a line of three different flavors, uh, chocolate chip peanut butter and these little walnut cups. And um, I sold those. And Dina DeLuca became you know, my favorite client. And we were very friendly. And they asked me to do a gingerbread replica of their store. So that was great. I did that. And I realized what I preferred was like playing with the materials, not just making cookies for eating. I really was more of a maker than a baker. (laughs) And um, so I started then getting other commissions for gingerbread buildings. I think I did the building that houses the Rolling Stone Stone magazine and a bunch of others. And then looking at those things, people thought I made cakes and I started getting cake requests, big cakes. And then somebody asked me to do a cookie and then I did my first cookie. So I kind of backed into it just by the I think my enthusiasm for making things came through and people just wanted more. See, I mean, you're talking about 2D and 3D when you're talking about cookies and cakes. True. Well, what what did you feel more comfortable with at that time? Well, a lot of my cakes were actually flat cakes with images on them. I, I um, Stories of people's lives or kids' imagery or all kinds of imagery. I did do the three-dimensional stuff. And in the end, I really loved looking at it and got excited. But the process of making it was a little bit less satisfying to me than the process of making the cookies. Because, I don't know, the cookies, you could see them laid out. You could try something different on each cookie. If I make 100 cookies, I remember the one that I put a little bit of extra you know, blue line on the left. I actually can remember the different cookies. And I love actually having to being able to try something different on each one. And nobody notices in the end. And also, it's fun to me to have them all be different. Yeah. I think of them as images that are all the same, but all different because they're handmade. And we have a system that we go through. But in the end, when you make something by hand, and when you bake something, no two are going to be exactly alike. And that's to me the, like the beauty of it. Do you feel the same way about the 1800 windows of the Cherry <laughs> Netherland Hotel gingerbread right. house you made? 
I kind of did. Yeah. I mean, I just like trying to make them the same. You're in the same mindset. You're just going. But in the end, your hand cannot do the same thing twice in a row. And so it's like just a kind of like a why I like, you know, primitive stuff. It's just you can see the hand. You can see the hand that made the thing. It doesn't look like a machine made it. But it there is a, a sequence and, you know, it's it's. I don't know, it's just very satisfying to me to, mul- to do multiples of things and see them all together. I mean, I've been to cookie swaps during the holidays, mm-hmm. but a lot of people experience those butter cookies in the tin, which, you know, are not handmade. They're, you know, manufactured oh, and, um, you know, fit everything fits so perfectly in its space, which is a great segue into this book. Um, <laughs> you, you've had this idea of about how not every cookie is defined by its cutter. What, what's the exact you know, phrase, the title of this uh, book. That you can't judge a cookie by its cutter. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously this book illustrates that point. But for so long, there were standardized shapes. There were standardized cookies. And I'm sure prior to you coming into Dean and DeLuca, uh, there, there wasn't much for baking handicraft. There really wasn't. In fact, the only, except for those really big, giant cookies that I don't think you could really eat, in grocery stores on holidays. Um, I never saw it anywhere else. You know, I think Martha Stewart had made de- decorated <coughs> cookies, cut out decorated cookies in her very first book, Entertaining. Um, and I'd seen those, but other than that, I hadn't seen a fully decorated cookie that looked like an object. Um, people kind of referred to them at that time as designer cookies, <laughs> which was okay. I don't really, didn't, I didn't love the word designer, but I just did love that... Um, People could decide what they wanted in their image to be in, in a cookie, and they could have it, and, you know, it didn't have to last forever and pile up. They're not like artworks. They're like things you can eat, enjoy. They tasted really good, and everybody could uh, get into the act, deciding what they wanted, and, you know, col- it's like a collaboration, really, with a client. Yeah. Well, I disagree. They're not artwork. So I, know, uh, I know, and well, I mean paintings. Yeah, yeah. is what I mean. But yeah. you won a national endowment for the arts. I did. Um, when you won that, what were you practicing? Um, oh, gee, that was like 1984, I think, and I'm trying to remember what I had um, submitted to get that. I think they were um, actually it was the beginning of using shapes in my paintings. They weren't really that clearly defined because the colors were similar in value, um, the shape to the background. Or else they were disguised with lots of paint on top of the image so you could kind of see the delineation of the shape but not really clearly. And that's, I think, when I got the um, the National Endowment, the grant. Um, but now, as you can see, the cutters, it's just shape right there for everyone to see. And um, I just love the... I just love when shapes just speak for themselves. You know, it, like one of the things I really like is... Um, I don't know if you know, in Mexico or other Latin American countries, maybe other places, on the sides of buildings, they'll have a, to, to um, you know, to, to show you what kind of store it is. If it's a shoe store, there might be a kind of a crude shoe painted on the wall. Or if it's a barber, there might be a scissor or a comb painted on the wall of these sort of stucco buildings. I just like when the image says it all. And um, I think that's one of the things I like about shapes. And that's why it was so much fun to do this you can't judge a cookie by its cutter and show you that a shape can be so many different things depending on how depending upon your orientation yeah at the same time i i 
I like what you just said about iconography because I was just driving in Japan. Oh, right. And for a second, I'm, you know, behind the wheel and I'm like, I don't know what any, any of these signs mean. But then you realize some of the shapes and colors of the signs, you know, infer something. And exactly. you can at least interpret that. But you're taking that to a whole nother level. You know, you're, you're taking that out of the context and into this creative realm where, you know, a circle can represent a globe, a pizza, a <laughs> slice of citrus, you know, yeah. that's where that dimensionality comes back in the, in the, in the play for these 2d objects. But I, I want to talk about how you go even further than the cookie. You yourself make your cutters. Oh yes. Well, that got started early on. I don't think ever in my cookie career did I use a commercial cutter. It didn't even occur to me because that's, I didn't just start making cookies I made cookies based on people's requests. And even when I just made cookies for myself, I remember one of the first cookies I ever made um, just for fun was a slice of cake and a um, cup of a mug of coffee. And of course, that doesn't exist or didn't back now. There's so many cutters. But back then, of course, that didn't exist. And even if it had existed, it might not be the exact angle I wanted that image at. So, um, yeah, we would just draw it on a piece of paper. I mean, really, to me, it seemed like kind of a no-brainer. Drawing the piece of paper, I found the metal that I needed to do it and just, you know, um, shape the metal around the line drawing. And there you've got your own cookie cutter that you've, that's perfect because you've drawn the image the way you want it. Copper, aluminum, what I've other used, metals? I've used both. I, um, I mostly use aluminum. Yeah. Because the copper's a little bit harder to bend and, of course, more expensive and if you're not selling it, it doesn't really yeah. need I mean, to be copper. So what what is the cost of aluminum, you know, cutter making? Because, it, it, you know, a lot of people bake at home, but right. I, I don't think many people have thought outside of that cookie cutter box and actually well, made their own cutters. Of course, I buy it in, in huge amounts, so I couldn't even tell you how mm-hmm. much a strip of it costs. But you, um, they, you know, they cut it for me. I think it's an inch deep and uh, the right length. But you can actually get it online. They sell now, of course, cookie cutter strips. You can buy a whole kit, but all you really need is the strips, and you get plenty for just a whole person who wants to try it, and for relatively, you know, very little money. I, I know you're very versatile with your design, you know, making a lot of different cookies out of a specific cutter, but how many cutters do you actually have at your studio? Well, I actually, last year, we finally counted them, and it was almost 20, well, now it's probably more, but at that point, it was almost it was about 2,400 cutters, yeah. all, you know, all made by me over the years. Um, because at this point, when I get an order or a request, say somebody asks for, um, you, know, a, what, you know, a cookie in the shape of a spoon, to find it again, even though I have them categorized, would take me a while. I might not want the exact same size. I might have made that spoon cutter, you know, 10 years ago, and now I have a whole different idea of what to do. So I rarely go back to the same cutters. I usually remake them because it's really such a, it's so easy. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it's, it just blows my mind that, you know, every single step is so refined. I mean, even your icing, you weren't, you know, satisfied with royal icing. So you had a little more, bet more water to make it, you know, painterly almost like watercolors right the consistency changes with what we're going to use the icing for so we must have i don't know so many different consistencies there has to be at least 10 and some colors food coloring responds differently to the icing so we really you know once you've done it 
long enough, you really can just instinctively know when the icing will work. And even for me, sometimes I have to try it and to know if it's going to work. But yeah, sometimes if we're doing a really thin coat, like in the book, we have a, a ice cream, a banana split that we've done in a watercolor style or a stack of suitcases. And um, then you want to just use water with food coloring. But if you're making a thicker coating, you really want to use a lot of uh, royal icing and thin that out with either egg whites or food color uh, or water. And what's an amazing thing to see, too, is also the palette that you use. Uh, there's a couple images of, you know, all the tests. But, yeah. how, I mean, obviously that color theory class affected you profoundly during <laughs> art school. But how do you plot out that color scheme when you're, you know, designing a cookie? Well, it really depends. Sometimes it has to do with the, what somebody asks for color-wise or, um, you know, it's based on what the object really should be or just what we think would look great. And um, usually it all gels together in the end. The, I, you know, I've always been a colorist on some level, so I think just sort of naturally. Um, so I just like to work with unusual colors. We rarely go straight from the tube. We're always mixing some of our colors might have five or six different bits of different color in them just because it really adds to the richness of the of the cookie of the color and the end you know the final look of the cookie is really affected by you know the different the lengths we go to make special colors yeah i mean how can't you call that art you've also had a one woman <laughs> show at the american craft museum so well that wasn't quite a yeah. one woman <laughs> show but we did do the catalog cover yeah. and the poster yeah but i mean th this is a true dedication i mean it's not just home yeah. baking it's you know it's just kind of evolved naturally and um i think you know there's a lot of little things throughout my life that have when I look back that appointed to me being attracted to shapes, I just thought of one this morning as I was kind of thinking a little bit. And I think I was in fifth grade when we had to write, pro write uh, reports on the different, on the different um, countries. And I picked Ireland and, you know, every kid loves to make a really cool cover, but for some reason I had every page had to be cut out in the shape of Ireland. <laughs> so it was a stack of, a sh you know, when you looked at this, book report it was all in the shape of ireland it was like all i cared about and uh I, there's a lot of other examples like that of things i can think of growing up that really um showed that i was like interested in in shapes and cutting things out and it's it's just weird well we're actually going to take a quick break come back talk about the holidays right. bendels bloomingdales <laughs> and about how texas looks like chinese food to you <laughs> Great. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here with Patty Page of Baked Ideas, telling you how not to judge a cookie by its cutter. And, you know, right when we left, I made a joke about Texas looking like Chinese food. But to you, it does. I mean, the core of this book is about how not to take a shape for granted. You know, you, you buy a Santa head. It's not just a Santa head. What else is it to you? Well, it's been luckily this, or not luckily, but it was quite interesting that the Santa was turned into three or four other holidays. We found a bunny for Easter, um, the turkey for Thanksgiving, and a couple of Halloween cookies. We did the witch and the uh, ghost. Yeah. And we could have kept going. You know, there's, we, we chose to do three cookies in the book for each cutter plus the what it was originally meant for so there were four images for each cutter um and sometimes it was really hard to find four and sometimes it was just we could have gone on and on there are some really great ones um that that were complicated and didn't even make the book because they were like crazy i mean what what were those complex ones because i know it's it's beginner intermediate and advanced when you talk about those three stages of cutter. These would be like super advanced. <laughs> you have to be crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, one was, um, a, they started with the simplest shape. So who knew? But like a gingerbread woman became a bird's eye view of a kitchen cupboard with a cat on top, on the top shelf and a mouse looking up from the from the ground. I mean, you had to see it too. Even imagine. I mean, I do want to see that. I might actually request that cookie from you someday. But I mean, you're changing such perspective too when you're looking at these cookies from, you know, obviously this very flat perspective Mm -hmm. to this overhead view. So, I mean, that's so outside uh, of, you know, what you'd assume as a cookie. Well, what was interesting was different people, you know, I solicited a lot of people to help me with this because I did not. Yeah, I want a lot of different vantage points and plus you can't see all one person would never see all those things so quite a few people played with the designs you know I outlined them on paper and gave them out to my daughter and her friends and my assistant did some amazing ones and um, a lot of people tried their hand at finding the shapes it was just so interesting rarely did people find the same thing a couple of times it happened yeah when when did those crossovers happen well one a lot of people found the um there's a teacup uh, the, the actual cutter was meant to be a teacup and saucer. And a, quite a few people turned that into an old-fashioned rotary telephone. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rabbit coming out of a hat came from... Oh, now I forget which one that came from. Um, but whichever it came from... I think it was a teddy bear. Maybe a teddy bear, I think. I'm not sure now. A lot of people found that. Um, yeah, teddy bear. Was it a teddy yeah. bear? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're so, some of them are so good that I forget which was the original cutter. Like, was it really meant to be a teddy yeah. bear or was it really meant to be well, a rabbit coming out of a hat? Let's play a game. Let's do it backwards. What, <laughs> what, what cutter was an elephant originally? Um, wait, 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 don't, wait, wait, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It. Oh, football helmet. Yeah. Yes. I have, I have another one for you. Oh. Um, a kitten. Oh, I know that. Well, it depends which kitten you mean. One was the ghost, wasn't yeah. it? And then there's a little cat. Look, I know you're a cat person. Mm-hmm. A cat looking into a fishbowl. Did you do you remember that one? That's oh, from yeah. a frog. Yeah. George <laughs> oh. Washington. Jack o' lantern. No. Good. Yeah. Oh. No. Absolutely. <laughs> 
I mean, that, that that's what's so fun. And the fact that you kind of gave it out to your, you know, circle of people yeah. and you got to see what their creative response is. Well, that, that must have been as rewarding as being, you know, art school teacher. You know, it never stopped being fun. And I think that might have been my favorite part of the whole thing followed by actually making the cookies and seeing them come to life in color and really work but I would be like oh my god everybody look what Kim just found and I loved it it was great it was great and it's you know there's different ways to approach it sometimes you want to like draw it on paper and stare at it sometimes you just want to put the cutter out and have it around for a while but everybody can find stuff you know I, I firmly believe that anybody could really do this and it's just really kids run fun for kids. It's all about like a way of seeing. Yeah. And I think it's like a kind of exciting. I mean, you take it, you can turn it 45 degrees, flip it 180. Mm -hmm. um, in, in my head, move it around uh, another image, like a Ouija board, you know, right. and it's just, there's so much within those lines. Yeah. Yeah. You've had clients like Bloomingdale's, Bendel's. What have they requested from you? Well, Blooming, uh, Bloomingdale's Bakery doesn't exist anymore. But, um, well, Bendel's used to ask for all the holidays, and they were great. They had really, uh, they they would put them on the ground floor when all the tourists walked in, and, and they did really well with them. And they would, they loved, well, they loved Easter. Easter was a big one at Bendel's, and Christmas, of course. But, um, you know, they would do gingerbread houses at Christmas. They would do all the all the cookies were ornaments. We would, you know, make holes in them and string them up. And so they all sold as ornaments, which made them kind of doubly, you know, appealing because um, it's an object you could give for a gift. And they were also, you know, delicious. And gingerbread keeps really well. The ginger is sort of a preservative. So it would keep and people would actually hang them on their tree and then eat them later. And very sturdy, you know, so they would hold up. But I think Easter was a really big holiday at Bendel's with all of our, we had a chick popping out of an egg. Um, before it existed as a real cutter you could buy and um you know all kinds of it sort of that when you just say the imagery like bunnies and you know other flowers it was more the way i think we translated them into cookies um you know we always gave them a little bit of a flair and they would be a little bit you know kind of like stylized but not too slick and you know still had the nostalgia of a cookie because cookies kind of reek of nostalgia yet the kind of little bit modern witty you know um side to them too so i mean how do you retain all those qualities with something as iconic as new york city taxi statue of liberty empire state building you know i don't know i think it's partially about getting the shape right you know getting the shape to work with how you're going to decorate it and then i think it's knowing what what details to leave in and which details to not worry about. Because you can keep going and going if you're talking about realism. And, you know, some, with some cookies, like say with architecture cookies, the more details you add, the more it comes to life. But, with a, but you kind of have to know when it works. It's, you know, when you're making a, doing a job and making 100 cookies, this is not about making one amazing cookie. This is about making... 24 to 500 so you've got to really know when to stop and, and you know with that you have to have a very good canvas how, how did you settle on those cookie recipes i mean we've talked about all the design that goes on top but right. you have to have that foundation as well well i started with the gingerbread and it never occurred to me not to just do gingerbread and people would say but my kids don't like gingerbread and i'm like but i 
think they might because I've had a million kids eat this. And so we did gingerbread in the beginning for a long time, and it's a nice flat surface. I it's it's um, you know, it keeps its shape well. And then after a while, people started requesting sugar, and I just said, "All right, we'll do sugar." And so now, sugar I would say is the most popular. But for the book, just we added on uh, five other flavors, and I'd never bothered before, but now I just they're so delicious that I love using them for decorating, but also just as shapes. Like um, you know, we we just we did a, a kind of a tasting event where we made the seven different flavors and we made each one a different shape so there was like a little chart if you picked up a cookie shaped like a car you knew you were gonna you looked at at what the car was and it was a sugar cookie so you knew you were were eating a sugar cookie so it was almost like a game in itself you know find the cookie pick it up find out what flavor it is because it's you match the shape with the flavor I guess I'm just like, I'm into games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you're also in the evolution because you're adding mm-hmm. on these flavors of, you know, cookie bases. Yeah. And we were talking before the show about your first cookie cutter. What was that? What did it look um, like? And how, how has, you know, how have cookie cutters evolved throughout the years? My first cutter, it was a request from, I actually Googled them and I couldn't find them anymore. So they probably don't exist, but Acorn Press. They wanted an acorn, and I can't really remember if I just couldn't find an acorn or it wasn't big enough or it wasn't their logo acorn, so I just made an acorn cutter, and I still have it, and um, it was big, and that was the beginning of really knowing that I could do anything with cookies, and and uh, after that, it was just one cutter after the other. Um, yeah. They've gotten smaller. They've gotten more right. refined. They've gotten, they went from big to medium to big again. I mean, I've got some that are probably a foot tall. Um, Now I'm into sort of medium to small-ish, I guess. Yeah. Um, And they've gotten more refined. They've gotten better. But mostly I've gotten faster at it. You know, it was was more of an effort at first to make them. And now I I kind of can do it quickly and I can get more intricate, you know, um, details. But it's really, it, it opens up a whole new world when you can make your own cutter. Yeah, and well, we're talking about holiday season. Mm-hmm. You usually hire help because it's such a high volume of cookies. Yes. I mean, how many are you making in a day and, you know, specifically for this holiday stretch? Well, you know, we, we, we don't sell to um, stores anymore. So, that, uh, so we don't make a huge line of Christmas and Easter and, you know, Thanksgiving. We do it more private order. But, you know, we're definitely baking like, you know, a couple of hundred in a day and then decorating them, you know, uh, sort of a little bits at, uh, you know, over the course of a couple of days waiting for layers to dry just because then you can get the most control of your icing and not have things, colors bleeding into each other. So we have a system where we bake and start decorating one day and then in the next couple of days finish them off. So I would say, you know, it really depends. It can be anywhere from, you know, 300 really complicated ones to a thousand, you know, less complicated in a week uh it really depends on the job it's varied so much yeah i mean so how many people do you have working for you i didn't realize it was such a multi-day process all right well it really again you know at the moment i have five people who are in and out um you know i've had up as many as 12 at some points when it's been really busy in the past but right now we, we keep it at a pretty specialized you know just um uh, you know, clients who we've had for a long time, mostly, that keep us really busy. Um, 
So it's fewer people, but more specialized jobs. Yeah, so people can get this book, practice at home, and hope to work with you next next sure, year. Sure, come on down. Excellent. Well, I'll never look at a cookie cutter the same for sure. Thank you so much for being on and for being such a, a you know avid listener of the show and oh. supporter of Heritage Radio. You're so so maybe we'll do a Heritage Radio as you see our logo next oh, to us cookie right. someday. Well, I did do your um, little unicorn, and I'm going to show it to you. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I completely forgot I requested that. Right. But I am so excited. Let's see it right now. Oh, it's very. So you can hear my surprise on air. Oh, well, that's right. <laughs> I meant to open it before, and I totally forgot here. It's because for my wedding, we randomly put one cookie cutter on our registry, hid it amongst oh. everything else, and we were just waiting to see who actually got it. But we got a unicorn. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, but you're going to love this. You absolutely just trumped the standard unicorn. So what I see here is the tooth fairy, a crane, a, a stork with a giant fish in his mouth, a baby in his carriage with a great little stuffed animal. The best unicorn I've ever seen, and a NASA space. You can see. I mean, oh, that's amazing! And then stacking them on top of each other just to just to prove your point a little bit more. But please go to bakedideas.com, check out Patty Page's wonderful cookies, and buy this book, book. today. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. It was so fun. I'm going to bite into. I think I'm going to go astronaut first. <laughs> Thank you again. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.